Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intelligence, forecasts, and strategies. I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for being with us. Maybe you're on one of the 32 radio stations. Maybe you're on iTunes, Podomatic, YouTube, or the show website, CREshow.com. Appreciate you being with us. Well, we have an incredible topic for you today. The show is called Show Me the Money, right? And we're specifically going to talk about debt. And when you think about debt in commercial real estate, it is extremely important. In fact, a lot of times you'll see a correlation between available financing, underwriting, LTV, and rates, and the market cycle for commercial real estate. When the, when the market's bad, financing's hard to get. Market's good, financing's easy to get. So there's a lot of correlations, a lot of importance on financing commercial real estate, whether you're an occupier of space or an investor. So please welcome my first guest. It's Tom Walsh. He's Senior VP with Grandbridge Real Estate Capital. He's joined us here in Studio One. Tom, thanks for being with us. Nice to be here, Michael. We appreciate it, Tom. And I remember the first time I heard you speak in front of a large group years ago, I was really impressed with, with your knowledge. You guys do uh, commercial real estate loans. You do with all the, all the various sources. Uh, you do apartment loans. So I'm looking forward to, to getting an update from you because it seems like the, the lending market is, is a moving target, uh, and it is real important. And first of all, I'd like to ask you, with lenders today, what's really popular, popular with lenders? What are the sectors and things that they really like today? Probably the most, uh, I guess the most desirable product right now is industrial, I think. It's, it's not the easiest product to find for most lenders. It was, it was probably the last of the product types to come out of the recession. And so it's, a, it's, it's in a little bit of a different cycle than, say, the, 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 the 180 degree from that would be multifamily, which was the first product to come out of the recession. Now is kind of deep into a positive cycle. Industrial is, is not nearly as deep into the cycle as multifamily is. And certainly on the life insurance company side, I think on the CMBS side, too, though, they, they have a hard time attracting that business. I think most people would, would say industrial is probably the most desirable right now. Apartments are still a funny animal. Um, there's all sorts of concern about where we are in the cycle with apartments right now. At the same time, it's still the product type that people chase the hardest. It prices the lowest. Um, it's really almost a contradiction, really. Um, so far, the apartment market looks great. Uh, you know, there's been rental growth. There's been strong occupancies across the board. Uh, very few markets, if any, have turned down where, where, where you're seeing rent shrinkage at all. Most markets are doing well. It's just that a lot of people are concerned how deep we are into the cycle with apartments. We're, we're a good five years into a serious, serious growth mode on apartments with you know unprecedented rental growth over that period of time. So that concerns some people. Uh, but right now, right now, it's just concern. It really hasn't manifested itself in problems yet. The other two, you know, retail is kind of steady as she goes right now. Uh, our company had a very strong year in 2015 with retail. The retail market, by and large, is doing well. The, the country seems to have kind of figured out its big box situation, which, as you may know, five, six years ago was kind of a brutal situation with big boxes everywhere in the country empty whether it be the old Kmarts or, you know, you know, say other furniture companies that went out of business, people like that. That seems to have stabilized now. Uh, and office, um, I think most people would tell you that office has come back 
better than anyone thought it could. Uh, it was probably the product that was at the bottom of the barrel five or six years ago in the recession. Uh, most markets in the United States uh, have seen a pretty good rebound in office. Most office markets are doing fairly well, better than anyone would have anticipated. They're, they're more financeable now than I would have guessed they would have been, clearly. So it sounds like there's not really a property type that lenders are really shying away from. I would say no, uh, other, uh, other than some anecdotal concern on multifamily. Um, and especially, I, I would say, across the country, there's a lot of in-town multifamily. That's, that's, that's kind of the, the chic product right now is the, is the in-town. A lot of it is wrap product where you have, we, we have apartments wrapped around a parking garage with an elevator you know, building. Um, there's some anecdotal concern that, 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 that you know, we have a lot of that on the market right now. However, up to this point, it's been all well absorbed. Market, you know, rates, the rental rates continue to rise. Yeah, well, it's plenty of, of demand. And the Fed, I guess, was in December, raised their rate uh, a little bit, about a quarter of a point. How is that uh, relating to actual borrowers' rates on some of the loans you're doing today? What's the trend for rates? Um, that really had literally almost no effect in our world. Um, as you know, LIBOR did not move much at all based on that. Um, Spreads have increased kind of across the board, but at the same time, your indexes, your treasury indexes have come down rather substantially since the beginning of the year. Uh, right now, you have nominal rates uh, on, you, if you just want to say a typical mortgage rate, you know, a $10 million industrial deal. Um, on, on, on a 10-year basis, uh, you may very well be back under, on, under 4% again where if you go back to the end of last year, you were up in the low to mid fours. Um, there's a discrepancy or, or a divergence right now as to the source of money and where rates are. The life insurance companies uh, who are doing uh, a lot of the, I, I would say, traditional commercial mortgage business right now, their, their rates have been fairly steady and their spreads, uh, especially, especially on lower leverage stuff, are very aggressive. The CMBS market and, and, and those spreads are affected by the bond, you know, by the reselling of the bonds and that, and that product type. That's been really negatively impacted. That filters its way into Fannie and Freddie a little bit, not to the same degree that it is in the CMBS market, but to some degree, you're seeing spreads widen and widen on those product types over the last you know, two or three months. Life insurance company, those have been kind of steady. And, and there's a pretty, uh, a pretty big gap right now on, on where life insurance company nominal rates are and where CMBS and Fannie, and Fannie and Freddie rates are right now. Well, to get those great rates from the life insurance companies, do you have to have an A product in one of the major markets? or You really need to have a relatively conservative loan, and that can be defined several ways. Um, you know, if you get up into the 70% or above loan-to-value range, you're going to get away from a lot of the life insurance companies. Uh, they really like to play in loan-to-values that start in the 60s and are, and are lower than so that. So they will do um, smaller markets? They'll do smaller markets. They'll okay. do all the product types. They will even get in on, on what I would say the high-quality multifamily stuff. They'll get in and battle at 75% loan-to-value on that stuff. Will they do the stuff. B product? Sure. Sure, okay. sure. But by and large, the life insurance industry plays below the max leverage levels. 
the max leverage levels are really the CMBS world and, 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 and Freddie and Fannie to some degree. And what are those levels? Basically 75. There, there's, there are some 80% first mortgage loans available on acquisitions, only on acquisitions. There's really little, if any, 80% refi business done out there in the world today. Most of your refi business is done at 75 or lower. The life insurance companies, as I said, they really kind of play in the LTVs in the, say, in the 60s or below. There are some life insurance companies that don't go over 65, as, as a rule, don't go over 65. Um, those life insurance, they tend to be very, very low rates on, the, on those people. But they're not going to push up the leverage scale, but they'll be very competitive on rates. How about if you're a borrower and you like to get more term? I think one of the things that scares a lot of investors are these balloons coming at the wrong time. That is available all across the life insurance world. Um, we have upwards to 25-year to fully amortizing loans nice. in life company world. We do a lot of 15 and 20 fully amortizing loans, on, especially in the lower leverage levels. Uh, I mean, you need a fairly low leverage deal to do a 15-year full pay and have it work you know, financially or a 20-year full pay. Um, Fannie Mae, uh, most people really aren't even aware of this. Fannie Mae has a 30-30 product. Uh, they don't do a lot of business in that product line, but it's out there. It's available. We can price a deal you know, And today. why don't they do much business in? Is the rate higher? Um, the rates are higher. Right. The rates are higher for that. Uh, now, you know, what's interesting, when you do that, that fully amortizing product like that, you think a 10-year you know, deal and a 30-year deal are 20 years different. The reality is they're only about five years different as far as the rates are concerned. But you're going to pay a premium to get a 30-year fully amortizing deal, a higher rate. But the product is available out yeah. there. Well, it certainly takes a lot of the risk out of, of a real estate investment. Uh, all of us that, uh, like you and I, that have been in business a long time have certainly seen the situation where a call comes up and property otherwise is doing fine, but it doesn't work at that time and you have a problem. Well, stay tuned. After a short break, we'll have more on the debt market. Show me the money. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty, commercial real estate asset and occupancy solutions. Call 800-408-2855 or visit bullrealty.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. Today our topic is Show Me the Money. We have Tom Walsh here, Senior VP with Grandbridge Real Estate Capital. And uh, Tom, one of the things that uh, can really impact commercial real estate is uh, underwriting. And we had the uh, Brian Bailey with the Fed in here recently and did a show with him. And he seemed to indicate that, uh, that the Fed might be advising banks to, to be a little more uh, prudent with their underwriting. What are you seeing day to day? We're, we're hearing that anecdotally, that uh, especially in the group of the larger banks in the country, that the regulators are, are watching fairly closely, that they're maintaining underwriting standards uh, and not getting it too loosey-goosey as they try to compete for business. Um, so I, I would say that's probably accurate from what we hear. But it's not loosey-goosey, is it? <laughs> it's not at all, no. <laughs> even, even the, it, it, it's kind of funny, in, in, in this post-recession market, I don't think anybody has really lost their discipline on underwriting. Even the CMBS world, who are kind of known as to be the, being the most aggressive underwriters, 
When you do a CMBS loan, you don't find anything they do to be overly aggressive. Um, as far as their treatment of expenses, their treatment of vacancy rates, their treatment of TI and LC reserves on commercial deals, none of it seems very aggressive, really. And certainly the banks don't underwrite aggressively. Life insurance companies, that, that, that their, their mantra is to not be overly aggressive in, in underwriting. So I, I'm, I'm not sure where there is aggressive underwriting going on out there. Maybe in, in the mezzanine products, the, the products that are layered on top of the senior loans, mm -hmm. possibly, you know, when, you know, they get paid very well to take risk in that market. However, that is primarily an unregulated market. They don't have anyone looking over their shoulder. Um, I, I would say, though, by and large, there's pretty good discipline in underwriting out there in the world right now. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that borrowers need to be careful with is if they have a, a favorite bank, and uh, they've talked to their bank about uh, refinancing their building or, or buying a property, and that bank says, absolutely not. Uh, no one's going to uh, loan on that. We had that happen the other day, and uh, uh, lenders was just convincing this borrower there's no way and no one's going to loan on that. Then a local bank looked at it, loved it. Actually, two banks then were fighting over it. So I think the borrowers, they need to be careful with, with taking just one piece of advice from a lender, right? Well, what you just described is why we exist, <laughs> why the mortgage banking industry exists. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't go as, as far as to say that there's always someone to make you a loan. Yeah, there is. But in 99% <laughs> of the cases, there is someone to make you a loan. Yeah. Um, and it may not be who you want it to be. Yeah. It may not price, be priced the way you'd like it to be priced, but there's someone out there to make you a loan if you need it badly enough. Right. What type of advice would you give? One of the things that we're seeing with some of our clients today is that because of the underwriter, the uh, regulators, pressure on the banks, uh, they may have a property that uh, has a vacancy, uh, and then all of a sudden the lender, maybe it's maturity, or maybe the lender's just looking at the loan, they see a large vacancy at that particular time, they come to the borrower and say, all right, you're, you're not hitting the debt coverage ratios, uh, you need to pay down this loan, uh, or else. What advice would you give them? Um, I would say the most important thing in that situation is to be the proactive one. Um, you probably know better than they know what your ability is to repay their loan. If you, if you feel like you have a maturity looming and you're not going to be able to pay that loan off at that maturity, go to them first. Don't wait, them to come, don't wait for them to come to you. And that's great advice, mm -hmm. but I think a lot of borrowers think, well, no, I'm going to pay it. I have other assets and cash flow. and. I'm going to pay it, so they don't think about being proactive, and it's the lender that comes to them and, and when you know and says, "Well, there's a problem." If, you're, if your borrower has the wherewithal, it has alternative sources to make the, that payment with, mm -hmm. or to pay that loan down, as you mentioned earlier, then that's a great resolution to a problem. I, a debt pay down is always the best possible resolution from the lending side. Yeah, from the lending, lending side. side. Maybe not, not, not from the borrower <laughs> side, maybe, <laughs> but certainly from the lending side. If you can what we call right-size the loan, yeah. um, most, uh, there may be a lender out there that won't work with you. I'm not aware of one. Most lenders will work with you if, one of, if part of your plan come to them as, look, at, I'm, I'm going to write you a check for X, mm -hmm. and that's going to take me down. It's going to get me back to a one, two, five debt cover. Mm -hmm. on this. I don't think there's a lender out there that won't listen to that rationale. Yeah. Well, I think it, uh, it depends on the bank, right, in the particular situation. Well, one of the things you have now that's different, and, yeah. and, and, and if, you, if you contrast that to the workouts done, say, in 2009, 2010, mm -hmm. 
when, when the banks were hurting almost as much as the borrowers were hurting at that time. Now you have a situation where there are, there are instances where for specific deal reasons or borrower reasons, you might have a deal that's in distress, all right? But the banks, by and large, are in good condition right now. Right. They, they're not under pressure for solvency. They may be under pressures for regulatory reasons or whatnot, but solvency is not one of yeah, them. Yeah, they're doing well. Like right. it was five, six years ago. Which is great for the economy. It's great. It's great for the economy. But it, it also, you're, you're just a small aggravation to them. <laughs> now, they may be more willing to work with you. How, how'd you know I aggravate my banks? What? <laughs> Everyone aggravates their banks. You know, anytime you have to call them generally. But, but by and large, they'll work with you now where they might not, be, might not have been able to work with you five years ago because of the depth of the problems that they dealt with. Let's say you have 100 loans on your problem loan list, mm -hmm. all right? Your goal at that time is to get that list to 80. Right. <laughs> all right, and so you have to get rid of 20 of them and get, getting rid of them may mean in a lot of cases, let's foreclose, let's get that out of here. Take it back, get it out of here, let's get this list down. If you've got a bank that has a list of problem loan lists, has three people on it right now, they don't have that pressure. Yeah. Now, they, they, they have time. As long as you have the wherewithal and you have the attitude to work with them, more likely they're gonna work with you. Right. But be proactive, don't, don't wait for them to make the first move. You make the first and move. That's great advice, and get yeah. out there early, right? Yes. And see what other sources there yeah. are, because it could come down if the lender really does want you to pay it down, and if you don't want to, or don't have the funds available. And, and, and there, yeah. are, there are other products out there in the marketplace that are more aggressive bridge products yeah. that might be able to step in and might be able to help you out, get that loan paid off. Right. I, I wouldn't tell you that they're going to be cheap. Right, you might not get your 4% right. loan. Right, or they're going to be easy. But, but you might not have to come out of pocket a million dollars. Or, or you might not lose your property. Right, right, more importantly. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the best sources for some of the various property types real quick. Let's touch on some of them. So let's say I have a, a B apartment community uh, that's worth you know, $15 million. Who's the best source? Uh, let's, let's break it up by leverage level. Okay. Uh, at 75%, your best source is gonna be Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac at that point. Secondarily, if, if, there's, if there's a reason why that it doesn't qualify as a Fannie or Freddie deal, then CMBS is your best alternative. CMBS is actually a pretty good product for multifamily because you don't have the TI and LC reserves that you have in commercial property. And that's one of the, one of the things that separates CMBS from the, from, from the rest of the world is those reserve deals that can be very, very onerous in certain cases. You don't have those in multifamily. If you're, let's say, at 70% at or lower, then I, I would think your first call is probably to the life insurance industry at that point. Um, a little easier, a little friendlier uh, today, a little bit of a lower rate than you're going to get from the agencies. Um, and, and they can handle everything, say, from 70% down. And I'll, I'll make one caveat, uh, and you said a B property, and, and, and I, I would say that's accurate in the B property. If you've got an A property, uh, the life insurance company industry will get up into that 75% LTV range in battle with, the, with Fannie and Freddie for that okay. product. Take a short break. We'll be back with Show Me the Money with Tom Walsh. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. 
Exceligent, the resource professionals like CCIMs, CBRE, JLL, Colliers, and Bull Realty use for market intelligence. Commercial Search is the site to market and find available properties to buy, sell, or lease all over the country. Visit CommercialSearch.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. Today our show topic is show me the money. We're talking about debt, one of the most important pieces of a commercial real estate transaction. We're talking with Tom Walsh. He's Senior VP with Grandbridge Real Estate Capital. And we were talking before the break about some of the best sources for some of the different borrowers and property types. What about owner occupants or uh, users as we're sometimes called? Some of the life insurance companies have programs for owner occupants. There are also some special bank programs that, that are specifically for owner occupied property. It's not it's not the easiest property to finance, really? but there there's enough there's enough money out there to do it. Well, we can find it usually. Yeah. Is there a better loan to value ratio for an owner occupant in a commercial deal? Sometimes it's it's fairly it's a little harder to value in some cases because you know you have to value the real estate kind of separate from the business because that's really what all they're getting as far as the collateral is the real estate right. goes and so you have to kind of value it as if it was income property at that point based mainly on comparables not really the income approach but it's it's doable it's yeah doable. we help a lot of companies buy buildings and sell buildings for, uh, that they own or occupy and it seems like because of that there's a lot of banks sitting on us to to do those loans and it seems like they want the other banking services for that That's exactly right you, yeah you know the reason why a bank wants into that business is if they make that company that mortgage loan yeah the first thing they're going to do is call on them for their DDA business. If, 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 if it's a fairly large company, the wealth management side of things, I mean, in, it, across the board, every bank is exactly the same. Right. They all want a real holistic relationship right. in that situation. Now they're going to go for all those other product types. Right. Well, let's talk about another thing that's dear to the hearts and minds of the commercial real estate industry participants, and that's appraisals. And, you know, it seems like uh, sometimes I see appraisals are too high or too low. It seems like that, that world has kind of uh, been changing a lot. What are some of the trends you're seeing with appraisals right now that, that you're seeing? I think in most cases, the appraisal industry, not the users of the appraisal industry, the appraisal industry is, is kind of sticking to the, their, their discipline right now. Um, there's not a lot of real forward underwriting going on unless you have a turnaround value add type of deal. It's kind of an as is underwriting. Um, good discipline. Where, where it gets dicey in the, in the appraisal side is cap rates. And that's where you have kind of the tug of war between the lenders and the borrowers where, where lenders kind of by and large are leery as to the, the long-term sustainability of cap rates where we see cap rates today in some product types and in some locations where you're seeing you know high-end multifamily stuff going in the fours um, and that's no one questions at least I don't think they question whether that's the cap rate today, today. right okay what they question as is how sustainable that cap yeah, rate five is. years yes um, of course the appraisers job though is to value the property today, today. Right. Okay, so therein, therein lies the battle right. there. And he, he's got five comps. They all look like they're good, solid comps. They tell you the cap rate should be five and a quarter or four and three quarters, whatever it is, you know. That's what he's going to use. That's what his metrics tell him. 
the lender, the user of the appraisal is like, ah, I'm not, you know, we, we, can't, we can't do a deal on a value that's based on a 475 cap rate. Can't even do that. Even though that's what it's worth today. Even though that's what it's worth today. There's the battle that you have. Yeah. Um, you know, we hear anecdotally sometimes about people trying to influence appraisers on the, on, on the lending side. Uh, I think the borrowers, by and large, are kind of happy with the product they get out of the appraisers today. Yeah. The lenders are the ones that are kind of leery of maybe stuff being a little overvalued um, on a sustainable value. Yeah. Uh, well, that makes sense. What if you, uh, you're a borrower and you get an appraisal and you really don't agree with it? You think it's, um, let's say you think it's too, too low. Uh, how many borrowers are saying, all right, well, can we order another appraiser? Um, a lot of borrowers want to do that, and it really depends on your lender. There's a regulatory aspect to that. Mm -hmm. A bank, for example, cannot throw that appraisal away and get another one. Okay. That appraisal may, is maintained as part of the file. You can't make pretend you didn't get it. Yeah. Okay. Now you may go for an alternative one, you know, and 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 you might have to explain the difference as to, as to why you picked appraisal B over appraisal A, and and make your case as to why but you can't make pretend that appraisal never existed. Uh, on, I, I believe on the CMBS side, I, don't, I, can't, I can't really speak to that on the life insurance company side. I don't know the, that the rules are that strict there. Um, I mean, sometimes you get an appraisal in that neither party's happy with. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and it might be that you just see, God, he should have come up with a better accomplice than this. Yeah. Or, or why did he go spread so geographically Well, sometimes far? the appraiser adjusts if you give him some good reasons. Sure, oh yeah. yeah. I, I would say in almost all cases, and, and the appraiser is always welcoming more information. Yeah. The more information you can get them so they can make an accurate portrayal, they're, they're always welcome to do that. Well, Tom, thanks for joining us in Studio One. We appreciate you being it's here. My pleasure to be here, Michael. Well, Thank we you. always appreciate seeing you. Well, stay tuned. We'll have more on Show Me the Money. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Are you in accounting, banking, or technology? Advertising on this show is an incredible way to reach U.S. commercial real estate participants. Visit CREshow.com or call 888-612-SHOW. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for being with us. Today, our show is called Show Me the Money. We're talking about the capital stack, financing, debt, uh, loans. That's what we're talking about today. And please welcome my next guest. It's Steve Renna. He's president and CEO of CRE Finance Council. Now, they're a trade association. They are basically the voice for commercial real estate finance. He's joining us on the phone. Steve, thanks for being with us. Michael, it's always always a pleasure to be here. Well, we appreciate uh, you being on. And to quickly to get us started, you know, let us know, the listeners and viewers know, really how important is a strong and liquid debt market to, to the commercial real estate industry and, and ultimately to all the businesses that occupy commercial real estate? Yeah, yes. Uh, thanks for that question, mm -hmm. Michael. You know, basically what, what liquidity means is that a, a seller is going to be able to find a price in the marketplace uh, that is within the seller's expectation range and to be able to execute. Uh, so that, that's the liquidity has been able to have some sort of price certainty and that there are buyers out there to meet that price certainty. When you get into a dysfunctional or illiquid market, there's so much price volatility out there 
that a seller doesn't know what the price of a loan uh, can be sold at in the future. And if that's the case, what you get is what is going on right now in the industry is a lot of loan originators are, are saying, I just can't originate a loan uh, to a borrower's term sheet uh, because I have no idea what I'm going to be able to sell that loan, whether it's in CMBS or otherwise. I don't even know what's on the other side. Right, and it, that and that's important because uh, the the flow of money, the debt market, can really uh, start to create the the downturn in a cycle. Right, if if financing's hard to get or difficult to to get, rates rise, uh, underwriting stiffens, uh, you can create uh, some problem with values, and then the whole thing and start rolling downhill. Right, right. It becomes kind of a downward spiral that yeah. that starts to become self perpetuating. Yeah, too, and that's the concern. Yeah, and I guess there's a lot of concerns about the uh, new regulations, you know, uh, on banks and lenders, uh, and and you guys are are handling that uh, firsthand for for lenders and and for borrowers are like so so what are the concerns of the lenders today with these new regulations? Yes, you know, and and uh, I think as uh, you know, you think of Dickens sometimes, and when he was writing Tale of Two Cities, he said, you know, this is the it's the best of times, it's the worst of times. And if you're in the capital market sector right now, I think you're looking at things as the worst of times. You have very uh, high degree of dysfunction uh, in the market in the capital market place right now. Reasons for that, obviously, obviously, there are a number of external factors that are weighing on the economy, what's going on in China, oil prices, commodities generally, sluggish performance of our economy, poor performance overseas. But on top of that, you are getting a wave of significant regulations coming into uh, play for the capital markets that they've never had to incur these types of regulations before for Dodd-Frank Basel related regulations. So you're in a bad time in the market cycle right now with respect to just external influences on capital markets. And then you have this very significant regulatory burden that not only has a weight to it, but it has a, a, a high degree of uncertainty to it as well. And so that is creating um, dysfunction in the marketplace, or it's adding to dysfunction in the marketplace. And in CMBS, you have uh, mortgage originators and even some securitization platforms questioning the viability of being able to go forward. It is a very uh, difficult time right now, and there's a lot of opacity as to what the, what is in store in the future. Uh, we are in an, a year, uh, Michael, with I'm sure many of your listeners know that 2016, 2017, 2018 are the peak refinancing years for maturities of CMBS loans that were made in 2006, 7, and 8. So we're facing over $100 billion of maturities in CMBS right now. And just last week, uh, there was a researcher from Morgan Stanley who downgraded his estimate on CMBS issuance from over $100 billion at the beginning of the year to now $70 billion. So capacity is leaving the marketplace very, very quickly. And that's not, it's not a good time for that, is it? And some of these regulations, they really haven't hit us yet. They're just about to impact the industry, right? That's right. And risk retention is probably the biggest one right now. And the industry is trying to grapple with how it raises the necessary amount of capital to fulfill the risk retention requirements. The problem is, is that the regulations do not give really much guidance at all 
to how you can form capital in order to achieve risk retention. But they basically say, you know, if we determine that you don't comply with the risk retention rules, yet there's very little guidance in them, and you violate them, and then you and you, for instance, you could put a securitization out there, and the regulators look at it later on and say, uh-uh-uh, this didn't comply with risk retention. The issuer is on the hook for this, and they and they are very concerned that they could lose um, you know access to their shelf or some other kind of penalty. So they are you know putting a lot of pressure on the BP buyers, who are the ones that are raising this risk retention capital, uh, to basically. You know, you raise the capital that's needed, and it's going to be capital that has to be held, no transferability for any of your investors for 10 years. So that kind of uh, buy-and-hold investment capital is hard to find and expensive to raise. Uh, and if that's the case, it's going to be pushed back down through to the borrower and their coupon or their proceeds. Right. And it could become difficult. And, you know, we're already hearing uh, noise in the industry that you know, prices and values have, have kind of topped out. And if we have trouble getting financing, uh, that, that downward spiral uh, could start. And we're going to have to take a quick break. But when we get back, I want to ask Steve about underwriting and about the banks and how all this could impact borrowers. And then maybe some tips of how to handle the situation. So stay with us. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty, commercial real estate asset and occupancy solutions. Call 800-408-2855 or visit bullrealty.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today we're talking about debt financing loans. My guest is Steve Renna. He's president and CEO of CRE Finance Council. And Steve, how are banks feeling about the kind of the new regulations, you know, the, the commercial real estate market and, and their current underwriting standards? Sure. You know, I think I'd sum it up this way, Michael, and that, you know, from the regula- regulator's perspective, a bond is a bad four-letter word, and a loan is a good four-letter word. So if, if a loan is securitized, the regulators are treating that harshly. If the loan is kept on balance sheet, then it gets more favorable capital reserve treatment. So basically, when you look at the banks, they have two houses in which they're making commercial real estate loans. If it's a large bank and it's, and it's involved in CMBS, it's making CMBS loans that are 10-year term, they are fixed rate, and they are non-recourse. If they're on the balance sheet side of the equation, those loans are going to be shorter term, three, five, maybe seven years. They're going to have a recourse component most likely, and they're most likely to be floating rate. So you have basically different different business models. Right now, I think um, the banks on the balance sheet side are able to be you know, pretty uh, fully functional with that. On the CMBS side, as I said in the earlier segment of, of the program, things are becoming quite problematic. Right. And as a borrower, obviously, you love the non-recourse uh, 10-year notes, so we don't want that to dry up. Right. Right. Um, I would say, too, when people ask about um, underwriting, you know, you and I have talked, to that, talked about that earlier, uh, and there, you know, are there concerns about underwriting sample uh, standards slipping? 
Mm-hmm. Um, and say one of, I think for the most part, the answer is underwriting standards are holding up quite well. I mean, one of the things that we saw you know, pre-crisis was a lot of pro forma underwriting. That has not yet come back into the marketplace at all. Nonetheless, on the CMBS side, you have over 40 um, origination platforms, and so you have a lot of smaller shops that, um, you know, that have, don't have any balance sheet themselves. They're given a warehouse line of credit, and they have to be able to make a loan for sale in order to make any money. And I think people are seeing that some shops are really kind of pushing the parameters of underwriting in order to win the loan from a borrower to uh, you know, so they can make the sale, and and that's putting pressure on on underwriting. Yeah, and there's some real good news though in the debt market, right? It was related to how much debt is on commercial real estate. So if you compared the say the average loan to value ratio in commercial real estate loans today to pre-recession times, uh, what do you see? Uh, uh, LTV is definitely lower, mm-hmm. for sure, uh, on that, and and debt service coverage ratio is typically higher. Although you do have lower cap rates, I and mean, there's a lot of cap rate compression out there. Yeah, so it would, you would think the outside looking in would say, well, we're in a much safer market when it comes to con- commercial real estate loans and properties if there's a lot less debt, if they're, if they're 60% debt and not 90%, right? Right. You know, there's interesting, too, and I don't want to overemphasize on CMBS, but you have CMBS uh, bond investors basically asking for corporate junk bond type of yields. Yet the property fundamentals that are the properties that are underlying the mortgages in these pools are, are quite strong and even improving. So there's a kind of a disconnect there. But I think the good news in the market is that property fundamentals are strong. But of course, as we saw during the downturn, Michael, when liquidity dries up, property fundamentals cannot hold up. And in, you know, if borrowers go into distress because of lack of uh, liquidity and capital and credit out there then the values of the property are going to start to suffer. And you're going to get banks taking more property you know, in REO, and that becomes problematic. They have to deal with those, uh, those uh, distressed pools, and, and that's not good for anybody, even if you're not in a distressed borrower. Yeah, uh, good point. Well, Steve, we're out of time. We appreciate you joining us today. Always my pleasure, Michael. Yeah, thank you. And if you'd like more information from Steve, their website has some valuable information on it. Uh, visit their website. And uh, we'll have the link on the show website. Until And next week, you've got to join us. We're going to talk about the restaurant industry, which has been a major impact in commercial real estate. So join us next week. And until then, be sure you always lead, learn, and laugh. And join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty, commercial real estate asset and occupancy solutions. Call 800-408-2855 or visit bullrealty.com. Excelligent, the resource professionals use for commercial real estate information. Visit excelligent.com. That's X-C-E-L-I-G-E-N-T. Commercial Search, the source to market and source available properties for sale or lease. Visit CommercialSearch.com. For more information on these great companies or for additional videos, podcasts, or articles, visit CREshow.com.